Mali is all about. So in this installment of the midday conversation called the African Insight, we are in conversation with Tiriso Mukwena, uh, or rather Mufukeng, Tiriso Mufukeng, uh, as uh, he takes up, uh, you know, he'll tell us about some of his uh, uh, experience. I understand he just returned from the New York and wrote a very interesting paper assessing political risks in Thailand. And we're going to talk in looking at, I think really what we're doing here is an expansion of what we had in the previous week. Uh, in the previous week's show, we spoke about political economy uh, with uh, Peter Skrimbante from Oxford Economics Africa. We, we look at today at political risks from a different angle. We look at uh, political risks in Thailand. Uh, in what aspects does South Africa's political risks differ from that of Thailand? And what can South Africa adopt from Thailand or vice versa if there any, could be any exchanges there? This is done so to enable economic growth and prospect of the economy also attracting investors and investments in the respective countries. Uh, as I said in this conversation, we will be joined by, um, he'll correct me, uh, I'm seeing two synonyms here, but I'll go with Mufugeng. I'll join me with by Ntadeh Mufugeng, who's an econometric student at the University of Pretoria. He participated in one of the most prestigious programs in the in the country, South Africa, and the New York called the Emerging Markets Program, hosted annually by the Fordham University. Uh, he'll tell us more about that. But before he does so, maybe let us uh, bring on board uh, our guest today, Ntadem Fugeng. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Vusi, and good afternoon to all the listeners. Um, really delighted to be here today. Delighted to host you. Uh, is it Mufukeng or uh, Mukwen? I, I have two surnames behind uh, on front of my screen here. It's it's Mufukeng. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We'll we'll use that. Are you well? And uh, how are you settling in back? I understand you just returned from New York. True. Um, I'm adjusting. Uh, it's a slow adjustment, but I'm getting there. Uh, no one really talks about the jet lag, um, so. That's all a new experience to me, and it's been quite interesting. So I came back from a summer in New York to a winter this side, but it's much more like sure. a spring sort of vibe. So um, I'm quite enjoying the adjustment back yeah. here. Uh, when did you return from this program? So we, we left for about close to two months, and we came back around mid-July, actually. Um, so it was quite cold back then, but uh it was uh, getting sunny a bit mm, mm, i can understand now it's uh it's a it's the summer season in in the you know in the united states right indeed it is um quite humid quite hot that side um i think the minute you just leave the house you know you're already sweating um that just speaks <laughs> to the level of humidity that side uh, so uh they very well air-conditioned buildings there and you definitely feel it once you leave a building that you're outside. <laughs> yeah. Was this, was this your first uh, experience or visit in the United States? Yes, um, quite interestingly so. Uh, I've never actually left the country. So oh. this was actually the first time out the country. And what way to do it than to go straight to the Big Apple, you know? Um, and so what did, I, I had the privilege of actually going there. Wow, that's beautiful. What did this experience mean to you on a personal level that this was your first time out of the country and big plane, 16 hours down, 18 hours down, landing in a foreign country, you're thinking maybe you'll bump into one of the Hollywood stars across the road. What did this experience mean to you? No, true. Like, it, I think for me, it meant everything, you know, um, as a young kid, you, you always have these sort of dreams, but finding a way to, you know, make it a reality is always where we fall short. And we, we, we dream about these things, but we really think about a roadmap on how to get there. So I think for me, with the effort that I put into just getting the opportunity and setting myself up for it was, was just all what made the process even more sweet, if I were to say it in that sense. So. The, the trip itself was just everything, you know. 
Well, tell us more a little bit more about that process. Uh, it sounds quite close to your heart. What what do you mean? What did you do for you to get there? Sure. Um, so, um, the process itself, you know, from an academic point of view, uh, how they selected people was um, based on academic merit. Um, right. So throughout your undergrad, you, you 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 sort of strive towards you know doing really well, but they did not really advertise it at an undergrad level that there is this trip to New York um, where you get to partake in this exchange program. So I think at that level, it was always just me doing it because I wanted to be really um, well-versed within the field of economics. So the minute I got to my honors program and they explained to us that there is this trip, I mean, I'd already built that foundation for myself where I was easily um, able to be selected as one of the candidates to actually um, partake in the trip itself. So I think it was more of a um, hard work and reward sort of system that paid off for me. Wow, congratulations to you, man. I think the way you, you're putting it, it sounds that it's a well-deserved um, appointment of trip that you had. Uh, I had a chance as well last year too to be part of the program and I went there and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But for those that don't know what the program is all about, what does this exchange program, if uh, you like, entails? Sure. Um, so the exchange program itself, it's a collaboration between the University of Pretoria and Fordham University as well as a few um, uh, companies within South Africa. So the exchange program itself is, is you going over to New York to study at the University of Fordham, uh, specifically in the Bronx, because they have two campuses in New York. So one is in the Bronx is where you actually go and stay. Um, and you do this course in emerging markets uh, where you get to truly understand like from different perspectives, um, the risks associated with emerging markets, the opportunities associated as well with emerging markets. So you get to do a few modules that side, economic modules, where you get to really go into debt and to understanding from a government point of level, from national security point of level, as well as even from a economic point of level and political as well on how these different um, aspects sort of all are intertwined and connected and how you as emerging markets are really transitioning from this high risk level to sort of a to sort of more a a, a phase where you you trying to transition into a developed sort of nation um, right. so you you're trying to deassociate yourself from that high risk mm. right now, now let's put aside what you've learned right academically all the um, emerging markets and the levels that you mentioned what what did you learn from participating in this project in this project uh, or program apart from from the academic stuff that you you mentioned um uh, the TDSO? yeah that's that's actually a great question um i think trips like this you know it, there is a significant portion about it that is about academics but also it's it's also from a personal point of view like the growth that comes with it is is something that people don't really go into explaining much, you know? So I think from my side, it was much more of uh, an enhanced global awareness of what's going on around, you know? Um, I think when you're not visiting different places, you sort of only have the idea of what they tell you it is like. But yeah. once you're actually there and you're experiencing life in this country, you really get to understand on a deeper level the global issues and the challenges that they sort of facing, you know. Um, so the personal growth that just came from it was just me tapping out of my um, comfort zone and just um, increasing in confidence just to be having that ability to just take on new challenges, to network with different people, to adapt, to adapt more to the environment, um, the different foods, the lifestyle, 
um, and just more overall, just open-mindedness. Mm. That's that's the big takeout. Wow! If given a chance uh, to go and and and, and return to back to New York, would you? I wouldn't even think twice about it. <laughs> like um, it's it's that sort of opportunity, you know. It it's it just it's it's some it's those opportunities where you wish all of us could have gone. You know, all of your friends could have gone on it. You know, um, you just come back and you just want to spill over a lot of you know positive information that you received and mm. how you can all grow together. You know, so it's not just about me getting all of that information and opportunities that side but it's actually coming back home and sharing this information with my friends my colleagues and my peers as well mm. and whilst in this program city so you wrote a beautiful paper um looking at political risks in thailand uh, congratulations on that uh, it's not easy to write with the in uh, focusing on a country like thailand so well done on, on you no, thank thank you so much. Um, yeah, like like you mentioned, it's 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 not easy, you know. Um, it's not easy writing about a country which you're not from. Yeah, I think that that's also another thing, you know. Um, which which is which actually leans onto why I actually selected a country like Thailand. You know, it's not just because it's a great holiday destination, mm. um, <laughs> but actually, you know, like um, the fact that. It is so far away from home and much of their contributions towards GDP comes from aspects such as tourism, mm. actually. Um, so if you look at like um, like a moving average from like 2017 to 2019, you have about on a monthly basis, 3 million people arriving in the country mm. for tourist activities. I think even like if you just zoom in on what was the peak, which was in 2019. Yeah. Um, this is prior to the pandemic. I think about overall 39.8 million visitors actually came into the country, hmm. um, which is which is quite significant. You know, um, it's, it's, it speaks to the volume or basically to the, to the level of um, trust that the people have in going to that country and spending their hard-earned incomes in different currencies there, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, a, a big part of um, the COVID pandemic as well was just that tourism basically fell flat, you know, with a lot of lockdowns, a lot of restrictions in movement, and um, that high level of volumes basically just fell dormant and temporarily in, if inactive. So... Um, more, more so looking at Thailand was just trying to understand what, what those effects meant for them mm. and for people around them. Well, I think, I mean, obviously you've never been to Thailand, neither have I, uh, but you've spent substantial amount of time studying this country. Um, for someone that, like me that doesn't know Thailand, do you want to give us a bit, uh, you know, sneak peek of what Thailand is. Maybe why is it located on Earth? Uh, you know what uh, you you did explain about the uh, sector, which mostly is tourism. You know what kind of people, language, cultures. Do you know anything about that? Um, <laughs> that's that's actually an interesting question. Um, so yeah, indeed, I, I did not actually get a chance to visit Thailand. Hopefully, yet I, I do hope to go there one day. Sure. On on some holiday, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Thailand Thailand is more of a it's more of a military based sort of country. Uh, much of their operations are dictated by uh, how the military and the coups uh, in the country. Um, facilitate uh, sort of that head of state position. Um, so I think leading up to the early years or the early centuries, um, even up until the late um, 2020s and the early 2008s, um, there's always been a king serving as a head of state in, mm. in, in, in Thailand. So this is much more like your countries like your um 
your England, where, where, where there's a, a sort of head of state or with a prime minister yeah. sort of at the hierarchy of that framework. Um, so the military historically has played a dominant role in, in positioning itself um, as sort of the king's soldiers, if I were to say it in that way, um, and, and just exerting influence over political affairs in the country. So um, despite the fact that they, they, they transitioned to a, a form of a democracy in, in the late or the early 1970s, the power dynamics in the country like has always been constrained, you know. Um, mm. uh, the military constitutes, uh, the military-backed constitutions are always curbing this democratic system, which allows for fairness, which allows for um, equality, justice, you know, and all of that. So there's there's always been limited political influence and decision making in the country. Um, because of that strong military hold uh, on, on that political landscape. So more so those, those sort of factors uh, play into like why, why we are interested in Thailand, you know, um, mm. as a country. Uh, uh, yes, are good at uh, tourism and attracting a lot of people. It's, it's a very attractive in, um, destination, but um, much of what's happening in the background is is what people sort of neglect in a sense. Joining us on the line is Tiriso Mufukeng, uh, a, a student or graduate from the Emerging Markets Program of the University of Fordham or Fordham University. Uh, let's go take a break and when we return, we'll continue the conversation with Tiriso Mufukeng. Information. Are you planning to travel outside South Africa soon on business or for leisure? Please remember that South African citizens are not exempted from the legislation of the countries they will be visiting and they will not receive special treatment because they are visitors to a foreign country. This message was brought to you by Ubuntu Radio in partnership with Durko Consular Services. Ubuntu Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. In action. Communicating the narrative of a changing global order, Ubuntu Radio. Welcome back. We are still tuned into the midday conversation with myself, Vusi Maupa, on the Friday afternoon. And on Ubuntu Radio, uh, we are here talking all things political risks. And joining us on the line is Tsidisomu Fukeng, uh, who is uh, one of the recent graduates of the Fordham University Emerging Markets Program uh, that uh, we're talking all things political risks. If you just joined us, uh, he did tell us a little bit more about his experience in New York and in this particular program called Emerging Markets. So he's going to tell us, you know, delve into details about his paper that he penned or wrote uh, during this program, uh, helping him to graduate uh, around Thailand, which is one of the countries, I think it's in Asia, uh, that uh, has really, um, you know, been one of the countries to watch and really understand and study. Uh, probably some lessons there and spin-offs that countries like South Africa can uh, take from there. Uh, so thank you for staying with us. No, thank you for, for, for having me once more. Um, I'm really enjoying the conversation so far. I'm glad you do. I'm also enjoying it myself. And so for those that may not um, understand this big concept called political risk, it's quite a big concept. I should emphasize that uh, it's political risk. Some may think um, politics at risk, or you know, may have different attachments to what people think about this. But can you help us understand it much better in the simplified form? What do we mean by political risks? Sure, um, that's that's actually a great question, you know. Um, so uh, when when you're speaking about political risk, uh, theoretically speaking, that is you're just focusing on a systematic means of assessing and managing the political risks of foreign investment and international um, businesses, right? So, but that's that's just the theoretical side of it. Um, in practice, however, the, the, the term political risk sort of leans towards the legal and the social environment in which a firm operates in. 
which is which is quite important here. Um, so in assessing that political risk, um, one is not concerned about the likelihood of change or or even discontinuous change, but rather the criteria that the rules of the game under which the firm makes its calculations of risk um, and return will not change. So in such a way that it doesn't deviate from their original calculations. So you oh. as a firm um, and, and in another country, you, you're thinking about investing in Africa, you're sort of making an assessment based on the fact that, well, the, the rules of the game won't change. Um, and you hope for that going forward. So you, you sort of try calculating that risk that if it does slightly deviate from that, that's the risk you have to take on. Mm. How much is politics in this political risk? How much does politics play so, part in this whole concept of political risks? That's that's actually another good question. Um, so it does it does play a, a big role in the actual definition of it because not only are you looking at the economic stability or the macroeconomic performance of the country, yeah, um, all as well as the the national security of the country. You sort of need to understand that policymakers are, to a certain extent, at the center of making decisions that or against or call a lot of companies and firms in the country. So you, you want a sort of environment where there is certainty and political, um, f- uh, the framework itself uh, that, that politicians set up and sort of building that institutional framework mm. where you allow for firms to know that, well, based on the fact that this is the policy, this is how we as the firm can make our decisions to make profits and to navigate risk. Ah, that makes sense. It makes sense. And that, that explains why is it quite important to uh, business players when they're looking for countries to invest. And for you, for you, um, uh, Tiriso, you, you, you crossed Africa, you, you ignored Europe, you ignored uh, America where you were when you wrote this paper. You went to Asia. Why, what inspired you about Thailand? I know you spoke about the beautiful destination and holiday, but what inspired you, what inspired you to interrogate its political risks and the appetite? Sure. Um, yeah, I actually did cross a, a lot of different um, countries. Um, so I've always been fascinated about like the sort of Asian type of countries. Um, when you look at the likes of your Singapore's, uh, your Vietnam's, a lot of these countries don't have much of a contribution to GDP in terms of your agricultural sector. But that's mm. not the case for Thailand, though. But a lot of them sort of look to contributing to GDP in, I'd say, much more modern styles. Um, so one one of the countries that I'm also actually quite fascinated about is is, is, is a country like Singapore, you know. Um, it's, it's these countries that evolve around this concept of being um, economic miracles in, in recent times. Yeah. Their GDP growth is, is sort of like really, really going up high, you know, for, for a, stat, a long period of time. So, so they, they're continuously tapping into this um, resources of their own to produce output, you know. Um, mm. So I think that's more what made me lean towards Thailand, you know, the fact that, you know, it's, it's not, it, it has a lot of relations with China as well. Um, I think uh, earlier, as I was mentioning, the whole international arrivals and tourism, yeah. um, much of China dictates actually that arrivals of tourism because they, as a share, I think it's about 30% of arrivals of that 3 million on average um, is coming from China itself, you know. So, mm. you know, the relations with countries or those countries in and around Thailand is quite strong, you know. Um, 
And it's more what made me lean towards selecting a country like Thailand. Oh, now that's, that makes sense. That's quite interesting. Quite an interesting view to select a country. Some Someone would, I remember when I was still writing my, um, well, he at home writing my thesis about, about uh, well, I had to choose what I write about when I was doing my um, uh, M-admin, which is the Masters of Municipal Administration. I was like, nah, let me write about my municipality, maybe. And maybe they may they may employ me after reading my paper. <laughs> so I, I, you know, we always have those selfish reasons uh, to choose what we focus on when we write. But uh, I like your understanding and how you approached uh, that kind of a study. And what what's your main thesis in the paper about Thailand's political risks? Sure. Um, so I think in my paper I tried delving into political risk from three different perspectives. Um, so that's like from the political landscape itself. Um, then secondly, I looked at the macroeconomic view of Thailand. And then lastly, I just looked at national security and the geopolitical relationships. So I did this for each of these three sides from a short-term, medium-term, and long-term yeah. point of view. Um, so what I, what I found in that is that Thailand's political landscape it's characterized by a sort of complex power dynamics um, and exchanges with its monarchy and military and political parties, which all play critical roles, you know. Um, so although the nation itself has some strides towards democracy, there is still a sizable military presence that limits the dominance of your political party is your right-wing and your left-wing parties. Yeah. So um, due to its dependence on tourism and the effects of COVID-19, like Thailand has had difficulties in generating strong economic growth compared to its um, neighboring countries, if I must say. Yeah. So um, there's, there's, there's factors that hold their hands behind their backs, such as a large public debt of nation or um, debt to GDP in the country is quite high. So uh, if it and this um, efficient debt management techniques that's actually required, uh, as well as concerns about stability. Yeah, that's the sort of angle I took towards looking at it. And also, Thailand has made significant improvements in its ease of doing business since um, the late um, or since the, around the years of 2007. Right. So it has reduced the time and the cost required to start business. However, these changes have not led to a, a more open and a more international business friendly type of environment. So, so, so they have a, an act called the Foreign Business Act, which actually restricts foreign entrepreneurs and creates barriers to entry um, mm. for repatriating funds that remain in the country. So, mm. so, so despite having multiple trade agreements, Thailand still faces challenges in international property rights, particularly concerning the the U.S. You know, so um, foreign firms, especially firms in sectors such as manufacturing. Um, beverages, agriculture, they all encounter obstacles when trying to enter the Thailand market. Um, and, and, and Thailand's non-membership, actually, which is something I find quite interesting. They don't have a membership to the World Trade Organization. Which it continues to sort of hamper its trade engagement and its allowingness of openness of trade to other countries. So, in other words, it's an excuse the pun. It's an island in how they do things. They are on their own, like to do things for themselves and uh, by themselves. It, it it actually sort of feels like that, you know. Um, it's 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 sort of a backward thinking, and I think that goes into again why uh, you you wouldn't necessarily want um, military at at the head of state, you know, making decisions. That that matter for the economy. So, um, 
you, you do face these challenges where it sort of becomes that island, you know, where it's, it's closing itself off to the world, you know, but there's a lot of benefits that do come with opening your economy to the world. That globalness, mm. participation, it does come with a lot of benefits. And that's what economic theory tries to explain, um, which is what Thailand is sort of not trying to tap into at the moment, that yeah. is. Before you found this city, so obviously you found these interesting uh, things about Thailand is not part of the World Trade Organization, the military state, the monarch state. Um, it does things for themselves. It, it, it stops, um, uh, you know, it's more like a protective, protectionist state, uh, if you like. Before you found all these, the time you took your paper and pen, what were you trying to prove or disprove? Uh, in your approach to the study, sure. Um, that's that's actually a, a good question. Um, so, uh, at the time we had, it was it was quite a, a rough time to sort of put together the paper. You know, um, there was quite a lot of movement in the exchange program itself. Um, so, sort of sitting down and pinning those thoughts together was was also. Uh, a process in its own, you know. So I think more or less it was trying to from a foreign perspective, it was trying to understand what the implications would be if I were to invest in a in a country like Thailand. How easy would it be for me to get my money out if anything um were to happen in the country? Um so I think that's more or less what I was trying to to to, to sort of prove that um, if I am an investor, a foreign investor, looking into uh, the, the the country itself, which has really remarkable um, tourism volumes, you know, um, which is something I'd want to tap into maybe as a company, but I'm facing challenges such as well, there's no certainty in policy decision making. Um, the institutions in itself, they're not that strong. Um, there's border control issues where people from neighboring countries are actually jumping over into the country and um, sort of limiting the resources of Thailand citizens, you know. Mm. So looking at all these factors, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand, well, is there really a return to investment for me as an investor? Um, maybe based on these three perspectives on the macroeconomic point of view, on a political point of view, on a national security point of view, maybe it, it's, it's, it's balanced out. Maybe there's high risk, there's high reward, you know. So it's, it's sort of trying to prove that what amount of risk it is that I can mitigate and still make um, profits. In conversation with Sidi Somufukeng, an econometrics student at the University of Pretoria and a graduate from the Forum Emerging Market Exchange Program, uh, talking all things political risk with a particular focus on Thailand. Wouldn't you like to explore a country where two worlds intersect, where first world infrastructure meets an emerging market, where diversity is celebrated through its people and its sectors. Where one of the most powerful economies in Africa embraces new opportunities. Where science and technology enjoy rapid advancement. A land where innovation creates a dynamic environment for growth. The world's leader in mining and minerals, with nearly 90% of all the platinum metals on Earth, and around 41% of all the world's gold. Home to 11 Nobel Peace Prize winners. And with the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Africa. It is one of only two countries in the world to have hosted three different World Cups, where a market of almost 60 million people provide you with the perfect springboard to access a continent of 1.3 billion people. It's where the impossible is made possible. Welcome to South Africa. 
a land of endless possibilities. A truly inspiring country. Welcome to the future. Invest in South Africa. Powered by Brand South Africa. There's a word in South Africa. Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio. A better South Africa, a better Africa, and a better world. If you just joined us, uh, we are still in conversation with Tidi uh, Somufugeng, a econometric student from the University of Pretoria, also uh, just returned from the New York, the United States, in a very prestigious program in the emerging markets. Uh, we're looking, focusing on his paper that he wrote um, about the political risks and appetite of investment in Thailand. Uh, Tsiriso, uh, are you still with us on the line? I'm glad to uh, still chat to you. I'm still around, Lucy. Fortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> still around, not yet left for Thailand, I see. Um, <laughs> so on, on your paper, you know, as you did say earlier on that, and you made it clear uh, that the military has great influence on how this monarch is, is run and managed, uh, you know, compared to, um, you know, what other democratic states you may find in African countries such as South Africa. Uh, you know, what what impact does this have, um, you know, on the on the appetite, investors' appetite? to invest in a country? Uh, do they look more on countries that are openly democratic or would investors go for countries that are more uh, military, monarch kind of a country like Thailand? Sure. Um, that's that's another good question. You're just hitting me with good questions today. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I do. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, I think when when looking at a a country like Thailand, you know, was very um, controlled much by the military. It's it's not to say there is no investment going there, you know. Um, I, I think that's also another point I was trying to bring across that you you look at a factor of 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 reasons before you make such a decision where you you invest or you don't invest, you know. Um, I think even in countries such as such as your Russia's, for example, you know, um, you do find that there's still investment going into the country um, prior to the conflict and uh, the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So you you do find you would find a McDonald's in Russia, you know, regardless of the fact that mm. the the head of state or the president is he has certain ideologies that maybe a lot of the global economy and the environment don't agree with. But for an investment perspective, there is still an investment flowing in. And that's that's sort of a similar sense you get with Thailand that, mm. yes, there is a lot of military hold, um, but when you're assessing that impact, you need to look at it from certain channels, you know? So, so from that investment confidence sort of channel, um, there is a sense of order and, and security that, that citizens themselves are feeling from the stronghold and military presence. Yeah. But it does slightly discourage foreign investment um, just due to the political instability and, and the lack of transparency, you know. Um, so just just to piggyback actually on that last point of political unrest, um, Thailand has witnessed periods of political protest and instability, um, which is often triggered by dissatisfaction dissatisfaction, um, with the military-led governments themselves, you know. So um, your your coups, your military soldiers, we we need to create a a sort of definition where we understand that they're not policy makers, you know. and yes, they might provide safety for citizens, but their contribution to helping the economy achieve economic growth, um, to achieve that foreign investment and achieve uh, a fiscal stability, mm. it's quite limited and to a certain extent. Yeah. Now, and now the, 
let's say uh, on a, a TDSO, you are an, inv- an advisor to a potential investor, right? Uh, you are advising me, you're a potential investor that uh, wants to invest in Thailand, and they're asking you to give them three scenarios uh, that they should consider before investing in, in, in this country. I'd like you to give me three scenarios here. What would be your best case scenario? That's one. What would you? What would be your base case scenario? That's two. And what would be your worst case scenario for an investor that is looking at Thailand? Yeah. Um, so those those are actually quite um, sort of um, field work type of questions you get hit with as a political risk analyst. Um, not to say that I am one, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you're soon to be. You're um, soon to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, it's sort of the sort of questions that you your clients would potentially ask you, you know. And and looking at a best case scenario, um, uh, that that would maybe involve the tourism sector, um, which, like I mentioned earlier, is a significant contributor to GDP. Um, and has sort of been recovering pre-COVID or pre-pandemic levels, you know. Um, so the ease of border control restrictions, um, which limited the amount of tourists entering the nation, um, strongly suggest that Thailand will likely return to that balanced growth path um, mm. by a near-term um, extent or a near-term horizon. So the, I think it was 2019 that I'd mentioned earlier that that reached a sort of peak of, of around 39 million um, tourists visiting the country. So uh, we, we sort of do see that um, return to balanced growth path by around 2024. Um, and that resurgence, um, once again, will sort of become a primary driver for, for GDP, you know. Um, so the arrival of the tourism industry itself will just unlock a lot of revenue potential for for more so for domestic firms um and it, it sort of will have a, a a positive spillover effect on employment levels on um supply side which will require like a lot of additional labor and rising demand uh, as a matter of fact actually so um that open border policy um, for the hospitality sector is something that can sort of be the best case scenario where Thailand not only returns to that um, to that pre-COVID um, levels, but actually starts exceeding that. So from from a base case point of view, uh, we look at sort of the government system um, mm. that is like your military and your head of state. They, they, they come together and in a sort of um, coalition. But the problem is that the coalition doesn't offer a sustainable approach to the nation's investment landscape. So you, you have developing progressive policies from monetary and fiscal perspective, which, which sort of become regressive um, due to the short-term, the short-sightedness um, of these two coalitions that would come together. So um, I, I believe the government's budget constraints will also likely um, limit their options to whether they can increase taxes or reduce expenditure now, or even making promises of increasing taxes and reducing expenditure in the future, which over the long run, which has compromised their credibility. Um, so, so that's sort of like a base case scenario that can happen there. But mm. I, I think the worst case scenario, um, even though it might appear as an oxymoron, um, but the strengthening of um, the, the domestic currency itself is actually detrimental to that um, export competitiveness. Uh, so, so your rising imports, um, your rising import bills would be faced um, by receipts of currency or receipts of Thailand's exports, making it less 
cost effective for them to receive goods um, at that point of time, you know. So um, I think the budget deficit of Thailand would be extended to a, a larger negative figure, um, which gives other nations the advantage of, of trade in that sense. So um, uh, additionally, you could look at the tourism sector again, you know, um, which would suffer a significant blow um, resulting in reduced hotel occupancy rates, um, employment levels that that sort of um, subside over that medium term sort of horizon, which is sort of working towards at the nation's disadvantage, if I were to say. Um, so I think this combined effect could pose challenges for investors uh, in the relevant sectors um, as they require a lot more originality in their business models, um, given the limited, if not restricted, access to military government-led support. Mm, that's quite interesting. Uh, I like the three cases that you're giving a balanced view and uh, some of the things one would not ordinarily think about, uh, especially when you look at when you say if the current is strengthened, that's detrimental to doing business there. So that's quite a, a very interesting observation, the finding there in your study. Now that all is written and said, uh, so what does this mean to South Africa? What uh, a country like South Africa, are there any lessons that uh, South Africa can draw from uh, cases like uh, countries like Thailand? Um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's uh, lessons that we can we can definitely take from them, you know. Um, so I think from more so from South Africa's point of view, um, foreign, foreign investors rely a lot on the certain extent on how the ruling political party makes their decisions because it materially affects the broader interests of everyone participating in the economy itself. Um, so building, building that strong institutions, you know, um, as, as a democratic nation, it plays a massive role in, in the political risk that foreign firms evaluate when, when crunching those numbers, you know, and, and by strong institutions, I'm, I'm talking about your, your rule of law, your, strong property rights, your enforcement of contracts, your separation of powers and so on. You know, so um, South Africa's political party dominance, um, it promotes that democratic processes. Um, mm. But you can introduce policy uncertainty and internal political challenges, which is sort of what we do tend to see um, in, in, in the past few months. and more so leading to your political um, election cycles. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty there. The currency is, is, is sort of volatile um, and then so forth, you know. So I think the impact on the political risk, it just depends on factors, um, like I mentioned, such as strengthening your institutions and, and the ability more so of the political system to, to, to manage conflicts and transitions peacefully and, and not require that military presence inside. Mm. Thank, thanks for that. Um, uh, some lessons definitely that I hope some of our leaders are listening and uh, taking stock of what Thailand is all about and how we could um, cherish what we have, the political system that we do have, uh, really giving us uh, much more leeway in as far as mitigating some of those risks and attracting investment uh, relative to what we see, uh, as Tiriso rightly um, outlined it in Thailand. Tiriso, uh, to you, um, would you invest in Thailand? <laughs> uh, that's that's <laughs> that's an interesting question. There, um, looking looking at the paper sort of that I put together. Um, I focus on on that base case scenario. You know, um, you don't want to be too pessimistic, but you also don't want to be too optimistic. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you know, um, you want to sort of have a balanced view where you 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 sort of looking at it from both sides of the story um, and both sides of the coin. As a matter of fact, um, 
So, indeed, I, I would actually invest in Thailand, um, but I would not throw 100% of what I intend on investing. I think right. having a point, uh, a perspective where you just throw like a 20% and see <laughs> what that movement is. If it's going good, maybe just add a bit more, you know, um, and and so forth. Yeah, so, so risk averse, I should say, is, yeah. Is, is minimized. You are so risk averse. Uh, good opportunities there. Just throw your 100% and you'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, that is Tiriso Mufugeng. Tiriso, those that want to pick up the conversation with you, you maybe want to um, connect with you on the socials uh, or the other media, how should they go about doing that? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm available on Instagram, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, I'm on uh, as well as LinkedIn. So um, on Instagram, you can get me at Tiriso, um, but T-S-H-I-D-I-S underscore O. Um, on LinkedIn, it's Tiriso Mufogeng, University of Pretoria. I should be um, the guy that pops up there first. <laughs> and well, as on, on Twitter, it's the same handle as the Instagram. So T-S-H-I-D-I-S underscore O. Oh, that's uh, T-S-H-I-D-I-S underscore O. Uh, if you're looking for Tidisomofo King on the social media platforms, uh, that is uh, Instagram, X, uh, as well as LinkedIn, you could connect with uh, Tidiso and pick up this conversation um, uh, and maybe also understand more about his experience about this prestigious uh, Fordham University Program Exchange uh, Emerging Market Program. Uh, so good to be talking to you, Tidiso. Uh, we're looking forward to more contributions uh, and tell your colleagues that road papers around Africa and other countries across the globe uh, to, you know, let's come, let's have a conversation. It would always good to hear fresh data coming in and fresh perspectives. So uh, thank you so much for making time for us. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. You've been quite the... Um, you know, you've welcomed me really well and you've really engaged with me. So um, I wish you nothing but all the best and stay young forever. <laughs> Likewise, man. Wishing you all the best uh, in your endeavors and as you um, uh, pursue that econometrics at the University of Pretoria. We're looking forward to uh, talking to you again soon. That was Tiriso. Um, thank you for joining us. We're going to go to an ad break.